Why choose a Sleep Number smart bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number smart bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 smart bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number special edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com. On this episode, I talk candidly with Brianna from Conscious Mommy about how parents can build deeper trust and more meaningful connection with their children without anxiously over-controlling the parenting process. You know, might want to do exactly what was done in your own childhood without doing much thought about it. Now, of course, there's like, there are, I'm sure for every single person, there are just also beautiful things about their childhood, wonderful things, great traditions, great experiences that we want to recreate. Oh my gosh, by all means, like pass along all those beautiful angels, pass along all those wins, but all those ghosts and all those wounds, honey, like let's expose them. Let's understand them and let's not carry them with us into the next generation. Hi, and welcome to The Parentologist Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kim. The Parentologist Podcast is a show about everything parenting with a therapeutic twist. Each episode focuses on a variety of relatable topics, including parenting, family, children, relationships, mental health, and pop culture. Hear from a variety of medical professionals, psychological experts, authors, celebrities, and other parents with inspiring stories. You'll feel like you're in the same room with your friends getting all of your questions answered. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll learn, and you'll have fun. Well, hello, Brianna. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you, Kim. I'm so excited to be here too. Thank you. Well, I really wanted you to come on the show today because I I love what you do. I love the work that you do as a conscious parent and the offerings that you share um, that I know I've been privy to on your Instagram feed. But I really want to start, since we're going to be talking mostly about conscious parenting today, I really want to start and share with the audience the difference between conscious parenting and other types of parenting techniques. Because as you know, as a mom, there are lots of parenting techniques out there, lots of parenting books, all boasting that they're the best one or they're the right one. And I think as a new parent or even a seasoned parent, it can be really hard even from child to child to know what is the best fit for my family? What is the best fit fit? for my kids, for my personality and things like that. So we hear things all the time about positive parenting, gentle parenting, mindful parenting, and of course, conscious parenting. And that's just a few. Can you share with us what makes conscious parenting stand out and different from the other types of parenting techniques? Yeah, absolutely. So I believe um, that conscious parenting is inherently all of those things that you just named. It's inherently gentle. It's inherently mindful. Um, but what kind of separates it from other styles, I guess, of parenting is that conscious parenting really invites us to think about our own past and how it influences the way we show up in relationship with our children. So there is a strong emphasis on the relationship that we're having with our kids when we're taking this conscious approach. Whereas, you know, gentle parenting is, I would say, a bit more about what you're doing for the child to help them manage their behaviors and their emotions, and you're doing it in a gentle fashion. Gentle parenting doesn't necessarily call us in to really understand why we're reacting in the first place. 
It's conscious parenting that invites us to go into that deeper um, self-reflective place where I'm really curious about myself. So I promote being very curious about what's going on for the child, resisting the urge to fix, resisting the urge to solve, but really being very curious, what is actually driving my child right now? What is driving my child's anxiety, my child's frustration, my child's nervousness, their behavior? What is underneath it? If I want to be really skillful at that, and I want that to come organically, well, then I have to learn how to do that for myself. I have to be able to recognize, oh, what's this about for me? My kid's screaming at the top of his lungs. Why am I so annoyed and so angry (laughs) with my child screaming? Um, Is it because I have sensory issues and I have some auditory processing problems that are impacting my ability to maintain regulation? That's super valid. Um, Did I grow up being told I wasn't allowed to scream or being yelled at a lot? And so as a result, I have a negative association with using our voices in loud, boisterous ways. But when I can build a sense of awareness and understand exactly what that is, well, then I can do that a bit more effortlessly and organically for my child as well. I love that. I'm, I'm just so inspired by the work that you do. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe I saw something in your stories last night about a dinosaur roar or something with your kids. And you were explaining they were, you know, you said, this is why I shouldn't give my kid a cookie before bed or something like that, which cracked me up as a mom, obviously, because, you know, we do all those things. But um, can you explain that a little more when you're talking about those loud voices? And I love that you mentioned that right now about, you know, what that does for us. You know, were we yelled at a lot, you know, growing up? Do we have sensory issues? All the things. Can you explain a little more about maybe how a conscious parent could handle if our child's screaming, whether it's in a tantrum or whether it's in delight because they had a cookie and they're hyper and they're happy. If if our child's yelling for any reason and it makes us uncomfortable, how can we react to them? And how did you react to your son last night when he was doing that exact thing? Well, I mean, I'm always for joining the child in a playful way. Um, I think playfulness is really missing in a lot of our parenting approaches. And um, I think largely, by and large, children are incredibly playful and are just, you know, not very contained. They're, you know, they're untamed, as Glennon Doyle says. They will just let themselves be as bold and as bright as they are. It's actually us who dims their light and asks them to keep it stuffed in or to find other ways to express their joy. So I don't really see myself as like the joy police. If you are screaming exuberantly and joyfully and I can tolerate it, I'll, I might scream right with you. Um, if it's too much because, you know, I've my ears have had enough, I might, I might let my kid know that, oh, hey, okay, that's too much. We got to bring it down a notch. You know, you're at it. You're at a 10, honey. And I know you're so excited, but I need you down to a five, please, because it's just too much for my ears. Um, or maybe I'll open up some windows, let the sound kind of go out. Let it bother right. my neighbors. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> that works. Uh, so, you know, I'll kind of respond in that way. <clears throat> if a child is screaming because they are angry, because they're upset, I use that as my child's communicating to me. Something's a problem. Something is a, it's obviously a problem because if we are screaming when we are angry or when we are upset, it's because we're not feeling heard. And so now I have to get louder to get somebody to hear me and to get somebody to engage with me. 
So I really see that as, oh, okay, my kid needs me to stop. They need me to look. They need me to listen. If I want my kid to learn how to stop, look, and listen when I'm talking to them, I will have to read their cues and also do the same. And I think this is a big, I like this movement regardless of whatever paradigm of parenting you might um, be working under. I love this movement of parents being accountable in the same way that we're holding our children accountable. If I want my child to be respectful toward me, I have to engage and communicate in a respectful way. If I want my child to be, you know, listening and cooperative and collaborative with me, well, then I have to do the same. I can't just, you know, act like it's a one-way street and expect my kid to grow up to be this empathic human who really is invested in relationships if I am not setting the groundwork for that right in the very beginning. Um, So for me, you know, I'm not like a, like a purist by any means, you know, I'm not like, you must practice conscious parenting in this way and only this way. That's not really, that's not really me. I'm much more like, let's find your rhythm as the parent and let's find the rhythm for this child. And what allows the two of you to feel the safest, to feel the most nurtured, to feel the most connected? And then let's build from there. Yeah, I love that. Now, I know there's there's been some, say, criticisms when it comes to gentle parenting, conscious parenting, and so forth, because there's a lot of people out there that have the perspective of it doesn't work because we can't be happy all the time or we can't be um patient all the time or you know there has to be a differentiation between parent and child and i think a lot of people think that because um of the way you mindfully parent that things like consequences and punishments and i'm the adult you're the child we each have our our, our place in this world you know um that that doesn't fit in and that it doesn't work because, you know, it's all sunshine and rainbows all the time, you know, I'll just say it like that because those are some of the things I hear from other parents, you know, when I'm trying to say in my private practice here, how about you try this instead? How about you know, give these offerings, as you're mentioning, of different things they can try instead of reacting the way that they typically do? And I get that type of feedback. So Share with me a little bit about how children can still learn without consequences and punishments. And, you know, are there are there limitations and limits in a conscious parenting style? Absolutely. There's going to be limitations and limits, but we're not going to look at it from a traditional parenting paradigm. So the traditional parenting paradigm looks at limitations, limits, consequences, punishments as a way to control the child's behavior. Um, in effort to be more pleasing to the parent. So I got to get this kid under control so that this kid can be a good kid is, is kind of the general um, mindset. So in conscious parenting, we actually look at it as boundaries and building boundaries with children. And so I define boundaries as how we get to be in relationship with each other. And so My boundaries with a child is not about limiting the child's behavior. It's actually about creating a sense of safety for me with that child. This is how I feel safe with you. So for example, 
child comes and hits me because the kid is angry. I'm going to hold that child's hand and I'm going to have my boundary. My boundary is going to be really clear, but also really compassionate. I can't let you hit. Hitting is not okay. Or I'm not okay with, with you hitting. And I, I would say that if a kid's hitting me, if a kid's hit another kid, it's going to be the same. I just, I can't let you do that, honey. Show me another way. Show me your anger in another way. Show me your frustration in another way. If the child is quite young and they're not capable yet of being able to think of other ways to express themselves, I might give them an alternative. Now, many parents, as you, as you so beautifully said, well, that you need to punish that kid so they learn not to do it again. And I really, I, I really see that reaction as a lack of understanding of child development and how the brain develops. Because punishment does not actually teach a child what to do. It might harm a child to not do something, but we must respect that the young child's brain cannot think of alternatives on their own. And they certainly cannot think of alternatives when they're in a state of stress. Punishment brings out stress. It's a stress-activating parental intervention. You know, threatening a child is a stress-activating parental intervention. And so if we can step back from activating our child's stress response and instead think, how do I create safety and boundaries? Safety and boundaries. This child's body is out of control. A kid who is hitting their body is out of control. What does the child need? Well, they need to learn how to control their impulses. If I react impulsively, I am not being the model for this child to learn. But if I react in a controlled, boundaried manner, I can't let you hit here. You can draw, you can scribble on this paper. That's a good way to show your anger. Or that's a safe way is probably what I would say. That's a safe way to show your anger. So I'm, I'm actually teaching a child how to express what's going on for them. Now, when we have these discussions with parents who are, who are resistant, I always come with so much compassion for those parents because there is a, like a deep sense of unnoticed or unresolved sadness and grief when we as adults come into contact with this kind of message that I didn't have to be hit. I didn't have to be scolded. I didn't have to be humiliated. I didn't have to be harmed physically, psychologically, emotionally in order to be as the good human that I am. And in fact, it was none of those things that made me a good human. I am a good human despite those things. That is a lot to reckon with. So I always have so much compassion for parents when they are resistant because I know it means they're, they're still struggling to look at the way that their past has influenced how they are looking at their sweet, innocent child who really just needs their, their support. And, and they're kind of grappling with, so what does this mean for me now? Right. And I think about how a lot of parents react just automatically without thinking 
just this innate way to respond when their child does something, like you said, based on probably their own childhood and some other things that have been going on with them, you know, um, themselves. The other day we were at a store and my five-year-old son um, was in line and he had grabbed something at the store, a toy that he wanted. And I told him, you know, we're not buying that toy today. We're here for something else. So can you please put it back? You know, he kept holding on to it. <laughs> Typical. I'm sure a lot of parents can relate to that. My everyday life. All right. So I asked him again, I need you to put that back. I put it in a statement format and I was a little firmer this time and he didn't put it back. And I said, I need you to put that back now. And he said, or what? <laughs> was his response. And he's never said that before. He's actually a very good compliant little guy. And, you know, so, so he said, or what? And so I don't know if he picked that up from something at school. Maybe a kid said that to his teacher. I'm not sure where it came from. So the parents in front of me in line kind of snickered a little bit. And at first it kind of, you know, embarrassed me because I thought, oh gosh, all these parents, you know, they don't know who I am and what kind of parent I am. And my kid just said this to me. And, so I'm standing there and I just pulled him away, which I think some parents may not have. I've seen parents at the store reprimand their child right in front of everybody, you know, yelling at them, mm-hmm. snatching the toy away, punishing them, threatening them, you know, whatever the case is, um, because just they were embarrassed and that, you know, invokes anger, right? So I got out of line and I I took him to the side and I said, sounds like you're pretty upset about not getting your toy. Let's put it back for now. Uh, And I told him that what he said to me wasn't okay. And I said, let's put it back for now. And then let's go to the, let's pay for what we need to pay for. And let's go to the car and let's talk about it in private. And we ended up doing so. So that was how I responded. Would that be, you know, a a good way to respond to something like that? Because what I want to talk about next is how do we not threaten our kids to comply? Right? So Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to hear your answer to that, but we're going to take a quick break before we do. Hi, I'm Dr. Kim, the parentologist. As a wife, mom, therapist, and all-around juggler like most of you, I lead a hectic life, and sometimes that means indulging in foods on the go that my stomach doesn't always agree with. Thankfully, Pepto-Bismol provides me fast and effective relief for all kinds of upset stomachs. Having a little too many guilty pleasures at a family barbecue or birthday celebration may lead to indigestion or heartburn, so I always keep Pepto on hand to get fast relief when I need it the most. Pepto-Bismol, use as directed and keep out of reach of children. Okay, so I just shared my story about my son the other day at the store and how we wanted the toy. I said no. He talked back, and I handled it the way I did without threatening him or punishing him. Uh, and I did it in private too, so I wouldn't embarrass him or you know make the situation even more escalated. How do you feel from a conscious parenting perspective about how I how I did that, and how can we not threaten our kids to comply? Because I think that's just a go to for a lot of us to get that compliance, get that respect. You know, I'm the adult, I'm the parent, you need to respect me, you need to comply to, you know, my behaviors or uh, for better behavior. What are your thoughts about that? Well, first of all, I think you provided a really beautiful example where a threat was completely unnecessary. Did he push your boundary? Yes. Did you hold the boundary? Yes. You held the boundary and you protected your child from public humiliation. This is a big, um, a really big talking point in the conscious parenting circle. Discipline, it should never be done in front of other people as a way to 
kind of show the world what great parents we are. Look at me. I'm scolding my kid and how I'm going to show the world that my kid would never speak back to me. And you know, why do we do that? Because we think that somebody is standing there thinking, why is she letting her kid speak to her like that? And maybe that person is, but that belief is much more about that person than it is about you and your child. If I were there witnessing that, I'd probably be like, oh my God, I'm so glad I'm not the only one. You know, (laughs) (laughs) my child's always pushing back on me. Um, I think this idea that like a child shouldn't push back on a parent, um, that there is something inherently wrong and bad about that. um, And that those are the types of things that we are to punish um, is, you know, really just rooted in, in our culture and in a way of keeping people oppressed and really oppressing children. Children actually have to learn how to stand up against authority. I think a lot of the, the, the issues that we are facing in this country and in this world globally could largely be mitigated if people were not so terrified to express their opinions to authority. Now, of course, there's going to have to be a line sometimes And this felt like an appropriate line. You let the child know ahead of time that we would not be buying anything. You can look, but but we're not going to buy. Or you can touch it, but we're not going to buy it. Very appropriate uh, boundary that's within your authority. And you went ahead and let him know that boundary. You held that boundary. And then you let him know, hey, we're going to talk about this privately in the car. We need to go. I think is a really effective approach. And, you know, how do we resist the urge to threaten? Well, I mean, we have to be. I would say that we need to become very conscious of what is actually driving the child's behavior. So a child is not just pushing back simply to annoy you or simply to just push back because they feel like being annoying. The child is pushing back because they don't understand the limit. They don't understand whatever arbitrary rules that we've set up, right? Do we sometimes get a toy when we go? Do we sometimes not get a toy? Do we sometimes require the child save for it and then buy it? Do we sometimes just buy it on a whim? You know, there are lots of conflicting rules that a lot of us use, and that's normal. And the child learning how to navigate that is also normal. And I think when we can kind of just take a step back, this isn't personal. My kid is five. They really don't know. Okay, so how can I help them? You know, I might hold the boundary. I might even, let's take a picture of it, and we'll put it on your your wish list We'll see, you know, maybe it will come for one of the holidays. I don't know, though. I can't promise. We'll see. But I'm happy to take a picture. Would you like to take a picture of it? Um, Sometimes I've had, you know, my kid bring it all the way to the front of the store and then they hand it to the clerk and then I let the clerk know we're not buying it. And sometimes I have tears and sometimes we walk out, we walk out without tears. And it's all part of the learning experience. It certainly is. I love the picture idea. I've been I've been done that in a while. I, I have done that a few times, but I haven't been it hasn't been at the top of my brain to do that. Um, at least in this instance, we were at the store the other day. So I'm going to try that again. I like that idea. So, tell me how can we help other parents not go straight to threatening when their children are being non-compliant, when their children are misbehaving, let's say, uh, they're not listening. You've asked them five times to put the iPad away, or you've asked them to clean their room or brush their teeth or, you know, some of the things that children push back on. And then we threaten, okay, well, if you don't do this, then I'm going to take the iPad away for the rest of the week. Or if you don't do this, you're grounded. You don't do this, whatever, fill in the blank. Well, we have to pull parents away from this need 
to control the child and step into asking this question, what skill is my child missing and how can I help them? So if you've told a child five times to pick up their clothes and clean up their room and they still have not got it together, well, I wonder, is there an issue with organization here? Is there an issue with starting up? Some children just don't know how to initiate and start a task. They literally need a parent to give them incredibly specific directions to help them figure that out. Some children are like space cadets. They like hear you, but then it's like in one ear and out the other, and they're kind of off doing their other thing. So do I need to create a boundary where, honey, when I call your name, I need you to stop what you're doing, put your eyes on me, and show me that you're listening. Okay, now that I have your attention, here's what I need. I need you to please pick up your room. What did I ask you to do? So in, invite them. Invite the child to, re, to reply what you said. Clean up my room. Great. And what's your first step? So now there's, there, there's me kind of building the skills. What is your first step to cleaning up your room? If my child looks scattered, I need to tell them what the first step is. Honey, I see all of your dinosaurs are out of their box. You've got to put them back. We're getting ready for bed. We want to have a nice clean room for bed. So then I'm going to provide explanation for why we're doing this. This is a thing that a lot of parents do not understand. We are constantly commanding and demanding and directing children at all times. They are like these little robots. And when a child doesn't stop what they are doing, the exact moment that we call their name and attend to us, we flip out. And yet when we do not stop what we are doing in an exact moment, when a child calls us, they are not allowed to flip out. They have to go to timeout. They have to learn to be patient. Again, we're going back to the, that, the earliest part of this conversation, this two-way street. It's so vital if we're really wanting to have conscious, mutually respectful relationships. So we're going to ask ourselves, what skill is missing? And how can I teach my child that skill? And then we're going to have really good boundaries and we're going to support the child through that process. That's basically how it goes. And then we resist the urge to threaten, knowing it does not work. Yeah. It might work momentarily, <laughs> but threatening will not teach any skills. Right. Right. And it, it, when you were talking, it made me think of um, some of my teachings and when <clears throat> parents will tell their kids, you just need to behave. Or when we go to the store today or we go to church today or whatever they're going, you need to behave. Right. What, what does, does that, that even mean? look like? <laughs> what does it mean? You need well, to behave. Be specific. Right. But that's the thing is then the parents will respond and say, well, they should know or they should already know how to behave. You know, thinking that that's just something that we just innately learn in our world without being taught by our parents um, of what that looks like. You know, behaving means using walking feet instead of running. Behaving means using our indoor voice or our waiting muscles, you know, to be patient or whatever it is. But we need to teach our kids. And I feel like that step alone is missing in so much literature of, you know, taking the, the time to to uh, teach our children ahead of time. So they're set up for success before waiting for them to fail and then blaming them for it. Mm -hmm. Right. Do you, you know, I, I'm sure you've you seen that too. That. Yes. Waiting for them to fail and then blaming them for it as opposed to actively teaching 
Well, it's because it's so much work to actively teach a child because you're repeating the same thing over and over and it's so exhausting. And a lot of parents think, well, I've already told them, like they already know. This is what I hear all the time. My child already knows. Okay, Brianna, like this is not an issue of they don't, they don't have the skill. And I'm like, yeah, if, if they could, they would. They, they obviously can't because they, they keep failing your expectations. So, so you can either lower your expectations or you can do, put it, put in a little bit more legwork now to help nurture them up to the expectations that you have for them. But that's basically the, the, the two primary options. Otherwise it's just power struggle city and no home functions well when we are in constant battles with children. They just, it's just not an enjoyable environment for anybody. I agree. I agree. Now, what do you suggest to parents that might be on different pages when it comes to parenting styles? Maybe one parent wants to discipline their child, punish them, you know, threaten them, all the things. Mm -hmm. And the other parent is much more mindful and gentle and conscious. Um, Where should parents start to try and get on the same page? Because that can be pretty conflictual, but, you know, for the children, especially and and for the and for the partners, you know. Oh, absolutely. Well, especially when it's a big divide like that, when we're, you know, when when there are issues that could have lifelong consequences. So like how we discipline a child can have lifelong consequences, how we speak um, to a child? Do we use a nurturing tone? Do we, are we constantly critical? I mean, these can have serious lifelong consequences that you and I see every single day in our office. We see depression, anxiety, trauma, and uh, tons of stress responses just to try to survive, right? And so when the, when there are potential consequences to the lifelong functioning of the child, I 100% recommend parents to get into uh, into therapy together, into some co-parenting therapy. Um, it, particularly the parent who um, is maybe less aware of why they want to discipline. And I would define that as like, well, you know, I was hit and I turned out fine. So I, I can't see any problem with it. Like it works. You know, my parents yelled all the time. Are you kidding me? Like that wasn't an issue. It was just normal. So like when we're, when we're kind of not super open to the, the complexity and the nuances around what it was actually like for us as children to have those experiences, those are definitely folks that I would strongly recommend get into some therapy as soon as possible, ideally before even having children. But if that's not the case, um, because many of us don't come into an understanding of what it of what parenting is really about until we got that baby in our arms, then <laughs> yeah. get yourself into therapy as soon as you realize that you um, you know, might want to do exactly what was done in your own childhood without doing much thought about it. Now, of course, there's like, there are, I'm sure for every single person, there are just also beautiful things about their childhood, wonderful things, great traditions and great experiences that we want to recreate. Oh my gosh, by all means, like pass along all those beautiful angels, pass along all those wins, but all those ghosts and all those wounds, honey, like let's expose them. Let's understand them. And let's not carry them with us into the next generation. I love that. I love that. Now, one last question before we go. I want to talk to you about something that I know you shared in your stories last night. 
with your children and the older sibling was jumping off a chair uh-huh. and your younger sibling wanted to be like his big brother and uh-huh. jump off the same chair. Right. And you were teaching him how to listen to his body to make sure he was making a safe choice that he was able to jump off the chair safely, just like his Correct. brother did. Will you go into that a little bit more? Because I there's so much value to that, because especially when, you, when we were talking about boundaries, you know, from the beginning of this conversation and I think some parents uh, are not conscious to look at their child's actions to in, in order to teach them to listen to their bodies. And so a lot of times kids will do things and maybe they're not listening and they end up getting hurt. But then on the flip side, you have maybe a more anxious parent who's terrified their child is going to get hurt. And so they're constantly stopping them from even experimenting with their body and knowing what they're ready for and saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Because if you fall, then you're going to get hurt. And then it almost invokes fear in a child. So where is that middle ground? And um, how do you teach kids to listen to their bodies? Yes. So I, um, I teach a lot of body confidence to children and I teach parents how to teach their very young children in particular body confidence. And so what I tend to see more of is parents who hover and prevent their children, um, or they get very anxious. Um, so like I, if I were in a session, let's say, and my son is 22 months and they're this, a parent's 22 month old climbed up on that chair, that parent would either stand there and say, jump to me, honey, um, which would create a false sense of body confidence because the child is the child starts to learn to expect that there will always be somebody there to catch them, which could cause serious injury and harm. And then the other side of the, what the majority of parents that I see is they rush, oh my gosh, no, that is not okay. You cannot climb there. Come down. And they physically take the child right off. So in Reggio Emilia, um, what the educational philosophy talks about is if a child can get up, then a child can get down. So we never do anything physically for the child. So I've never put my children at the top of a slide and held their hands down. I've never instructed them to sit or to lay. I've just simply said, if you can get to the top of the slide, you can figure out how to get down. Both of my children would find their way to the top of the slide, look over the edge, and then they would go down the ladder. They took both of them quite some time to figure out how to go down. One child decided he was going to go down flat on his belly, and he did that for many years. The other child, my youngest, is a little bit more of a daredevil. He was like, I'm going to sit straight up and fall backward because I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) But it was a slide that was safe for his body, and it was okay. You know, it wasn't like a slide that was so so huge that I was scared that he could actually topple off. So again, it's also choosing environments that are appropriate for your child to thrive. Now, in this case... um, you, it was very clear. He was pointing. He was saying, uh, 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 grunting. And he was saying, what I interpreted that was, come here and like pick me up and let me fly off or let me jump into your arms. And I just let, I set the boundary and I said, oh, I'm going to keep my body right here, honey. And essentially what I'm letting him know is you get to listen to your body. Does your body feel safe to jump? I can see that you really want to jump like your brother. Does your body feel safe to do that? And as he protested a little bit and kind of, he kept saying, he then brought himself down and climbed off that chair. He climbed up all on his own and he climbed down all on his own. This is very appropriate movement for a child of this age. You know, 22-month-olds are learning how to jump. 
He just learned to gain, get a little bit of flight with both feet on the ground. He is in no way ready to jump off of a chair or jump off of a couch. He's not there yet, but he is showing me because I spend a lot of time observing him. He's showing me this is what I want to do. And I am letting him know, listen to your body. Does your body feel safe to do it? When my son was learning to climb trees, my oldest son, it was the same thing. He wanted to be put up into the tree. I said, I can't do that, honey. When your body feels strong enough and ready, it will learn how to be in the tree. And he figured it out one foot after the other. Child has never fallen out of a tree. He watches meticulously his foot toward the edge. And you can see like he almost like flirts with it. Like he can feel with his feet. It's like it's almost like his mind is in his toes when he's climbing the tree. And that's what I teach the toddlers in my toddler class. You know, if they're kind of teetering on the edge of a little, a small little structure that I have, these little foam structures that I have for the children. If one's kind of teetering on the edge, the mom will almost run a rush in and grab them off. And I say, oh, mom, hold it for me just for a second. You just sit back. You take a little breath. Let's, we're going to shadow. We don't want him to fall and hurt himself. We're going to shadow. So I'm going to be within, within arm's reach. But let's see if he can figure out how to get down on his own. And the child, they always do the same thing. Uh, uh, uh. They, are all, they always call out they want to be rescued because they become used to us rescuing them. But when I say, I want you to listen to your body and do what makes your body feel safe, you got up, which means you can get down. You see the child figure out. They watch where their knee is going. They watch where their toe is going. They climb down. And then it is the most elated joy you have ever seen. They are so immensely proud of them. And I always remind parents, when you allow your child to have this body confidence, their pride in their body skills is about them, not you. It is not about you giving them this. It is about them internalizing it. Imagine if all the confidences that we have, our body confidence, our social confidence, our emotional confidence, our cognitive confidence, if all of these confidences could be internalized in this way, where it is about me experiencing just the joy of my own growth, my own evolving, my own development. How beautiful is that? That is a gift that we as conscious parents get to give to our kids. So beautifully said. So beautifully said. You have a session coming up called Becoming a Conscious Parent You Never Had. Will you explain more and tell us how people can sign up for that? Absolutely. So that's my eight-week um, cohort program that I do twice a year. And um, it's a really wonderful experience. If you are wanting more support in actually doing the unlearning work that is required of us as conscious parents. So if you have if you have heard about inner child work and you're wanting to do a little bit more, this is the space to do it. I also teach you, you know, important skills like self-observation, how to be curious of the child. I introduce and teach extensively my needs-based framework so we can understand what is it that I'm needing in any given moment so I can better understand what it is my child might be needing in any given moment. We learn how to master our ability to communicate in a compassionate way. We have multiple sections on boundaries. And what I love about the cohort is there's a live group coaching aspect. So people come on and gain community and support each other and really learn through each other. So um, everything, you know, all of my offerings can be found at learning.consciousmommy.com. 
Okay, wonderful. And we can find you on Instagram as well. I know I follow you and I love all of the advice and tips you give on there as well. So hopefully um, people will follow you there as well. Thank you, Brianna, so much for your time and your wisdom and just all of the wonderful things that you shared today. And I hope it helps so many parents out there. Thanks so much, Kim. Thank you for joining me today. I cannot wait for you to listen to more episodes. If you are a new listener, I recommend starting at my best of year one episode first. Then make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. And when you love an episode, please leave a review. And if you want to stay connected between episodes, please visit me on social media at The Parentologist and on my blog at theparentologist.com. This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911.